Hi, this is Brandon Macon of Making Sense, a podcast where we can share and talk about different ideas in a way that is constructive and promoting greater opportunities for all. Thank you for listening. If you're ever interested in being a guest, please check us out on social media at Making Sense, M-A-C-O-N. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Uh, it's October 17th. You're with Brandon Macon of Making Sense. Today, I have a very unique guest here, um, Ronique Mather. I met him back in 2006 when we were both working in our banking days and was just so impressed with the young man. And we have been uh, connected again over the last couple of years. And I decided to bring him onto the show to talk a little bit about Logic Prats, a new book he has written. Mani, uh, actually, Ramnik, also known as Mani, you guys might hear that. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on here, Brandon. It's, uh, it's really fun to, you know, always exchange ideas with you on Facebook and everywhere else, you know. So it's, it's, it's awesome that we're actually being able to sit down and chat for a little while, you know. Absolutely. Sure. Like, um, well, it kind of started out, to be honest, um, almost like a little joke. But um, I think back in 2010, and that's where I can date it to, um, I was having dinner with some friends. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you have dinner with some friends and they might invite people that you may not necessarily know. And then, you know, so it just became a, a larger party where we were just chit chatting and just having a good time. I think it was maybe a Friday or Saturday night. And, you know, with me and my friends, we're, we're kind of all over the place. You know, my background is investments and business. And then, you know, some of my friends are, were working on going into medical school. So we were kind of a diversified group. And, you know, uh, we would always on occasion talk about just things going on, you know, politics, uh, economy, this and that. And then again, remember, it's 2010-11. So we're just coming out of the you know, 2008 crash and this and that. So obviously, there's all sorts of opinions and perspectives out there. So, you know, generally, I always used to with friends, you know, with my closer circle, I would be more vocal about, you know, what I think my perspective, this and that, but I never really would talk too much about um, politics and whatnot with others, or even the economy outside of work, you know, so we were just chit-chatting and there were other acquaintances there that I don't I didn't necessarily know but you know we we're just chatting and everything and at some point I can recall that I started talking about the economy and I started talking about what I where I think things are going um how we came out of 2008 and all these different things and I must have been talking for at least 10 minutes which is a lot for me uh in a, in in a group of people like I usually don't talk that long but I remember just getting it all out there because I was on a roll in my head and just thinking of one thing after the other. And I remember someone across the table, someone I you know just knew by acquaintance said, the first thing he said was, so are you a Republican or a Democrat? Mm-hmm. And like that, that just like, I don't know, something just snapped in me. And that was like the tipping point because, well, I, like my response was, no, I'm a logocrat. And I literally coined the word right there. And some of my friends that are there, my close friends will vouch for that, that I just literally just made up that word and people just kind of laughed it off. And that was the end of it. But thinking back to it, I just couldn't believe that out of everything I said, every idea I put out there, everything that I was discussing or talking about with everyone, the only thing this guy could think of that he needed to know first and foremost is in my team red or in my team blue. And I just, 
and it just drove me insane because I'm like, it had nothing to do with the merit of what I was saying, the idea itself or anything. He had to know which camp I'm from. And that just, I think that's when I look back to, you know, cause I'm, I've always been a writer and I always write down things. So I can think I can look back to that date and I can start seeing myself formulating what became this book that came out about a year ago. And I mean, you know, this book has been in the works for about six, seven years and it's short and sweet, but it's by design because, you know, this book could be three times longer, but I wrote it in such a way that I wanted it to become a platform and a blueprint for just a new way of thinking. So I feel like this book is not necessarily, even though this, the word logocrats kind of suggests some kind of ideal, um, logocrats is a way of thinking and it has, it, it inquires and it talks about how to think, not what to think. And that's what I'm trying to get at with people. And that's the platform I'm trying to launch um, in different ways um, because I want people to start emphasizing on how we actually think through things. And I don't really care what you think. You can start with any idea. It's just how you're putting things together. Is it in a consistent way? Are you making obvious logical fallacies? You know, things like that. And I feel like if we kind of by doing that, we can reframe a lot of the debates that we see in politics, in our businesses and everything. And a lot of times this is what you need. And this is the value you need to add to, you know, improve the conversation. Wow. Very interesting. I love what you're saying. It's not what to think, but how we think. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is we talked about, we had great engagement on Facebook and there was a great back and forth we were having with a lot of other people online about different things and how we solve problems. And one of the things I've noticed uh, and one, one of the reasons why we're here with uh, Making Sense is that I wanted to give people an opportunity to see all sides of the coin, understanding that an article may not be unbiased. It may be slanted cert, a certain sort uh, a group of people. And we want to be able to dissect the article, read for what is fat, read for what is uh, something that may have some bias but also be able to understand how we arrive at our own opinions, no matter what we read or what we see, is to be able to dissect that information. I wanted to know, how does your book help with people to how they think? Um, that's something that I want people to be arrived to, like you said, logically and consistently. So tell us a little bit more about that, please. Sure. Um, well, you know, first and foremost, the book helps you to identify what exact... So what I try to do is I try to lay out ideals that I created um, that will help you think like a logocrat. And what that means is, you know, I, I go through steps in the book, very simple steps, but they are, you know, they're very powerful because what I first and foremost try to do is say, you need to understand and you need to be able to state what exactly you're valuing. And that's a choice you have to make. And that's absolutely fine. That's arbitrary. You know, we all make choices. You have to choose what you're valuing in any conversation or debate. Like, what is the end goal? Like, if we're talking about education, what are you valuing within the con in the context of education? Like, if you're talking about, I don't know, it just pick a topic. Like, you have to identify what you're valuing first, and then the other party has to understand that's what you're valuing. And what you see out in social media and politics is, you know, one group of people are advocating for this. A second group of people don't even believe in what the other first group is thinking. And then they're trying to come up with laws and policies to govern, you know. So like, you know, if I believe in a, you know, and this is just a rough example, like 
you know, between me and you, Brandon, if I said I believe in a healthy, you know, vital, you know, public education system, and your perspective was I don't believe in public education, then that's the first conversation we have to have, not okay, let's work together to make rules and policies because they're going to be all over the place. That is very, very interesting. And we've done a podcast on education. And I'll ask you about that. That is something that's big. We're both fathers. Uh, we've both gone through the educational system here ourselves. I mean, how would a logocrat go about trying to solve this problem where some people say we need to fund it more, fund it less, give more choice? What would a logocrat do for this particular issue? Well, that's a good one. I mean, it's a lot you can unpack there, but, um, you know, and, and what I try to do, one thing I, I'll say is what I try to do as a logocrat, like by no means am I the, like, am I the, like, you know, the head, the head person to go to when it comes to logocrat stuff. What I'm trying to do is I've created this framework and I want people to take this to the next level to, and apply it to their own perspective because that's how this can be used. It's not like, oh, let me refer to, you know, Remnik because he created this so he would know what a logocrat is. Like it has nothing to do with that. So any time, so, you know, what I'd like to preface is to say, I do not, when I talk about my ideas, you know, like if I start talking about education, that doesn't mean this is what a logocrat has to believe. I All I'm doing is, and all I'm saying is that I'm arriving to my conclusions using these principles and I'll continue to, and I might change my views, but it's based on these principles. So that's very important to understand. So when I start talking about education, that doesn't mean all logocrats think this way. It has nothing to do with me. It's my own value system, and I'm applying the logocrat ideals to it. So when you say, what is your take on education? Well, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. And and I think that's one of the key concepts in being a logocrat is you need to understand first and foremost that everything affects everything. And people just don't get that sometimes. And when it comes to education, there's a lot of moving parts. One huge moving part is the profit motive. You know, there's there's for-profit education and then there's public education. And usually that's where the debate is. But, you know, when you look at the things that are becoming a problem in education, first it's cost and the second is its effectiveness. So those are the two things we're trying to figure out. How do we, why are costs going up so much? Why is it so expensive? And why doesn't education seem to be as effective as we hope it would for that type of cost? So those, t- those are the two core questions we need to first understand before we can dissect and say, well, how do we fix it? And I don't think the answer is more money or less money. Like from my understanding of education and my observations and research, I think we're kind of like if I was to give an analogy, I would say we're trying very hard to fund the typewriter association. You know, like I feel like education in general is structured in a way that isn't giving us a competitive advantage for how we function as the United States as a first, you know, as an economic leader. And I don't think the reason we're not seeing the effectiveness of education for the cost, first of all, is because it's structured in a way that isn't applicable to us anymore. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the cost, I think, driver, well, I think you can back into the numbers why things are so expensive. It's not, you know, it's not an original story. You know, businesses do what businesses do. And I'm not pro-business or negative business. Business is a tool in my in my view. Business's first motive is profit for its shareholders and interest holders. That is absolutely the first thing that happens when you start a business. 
There's nothing evil about it. It's just how it is. So when you tie that into education, the first motive is always going to be to increase margins, whatever, to meet a protocol or a standard. The second thing is going to be everything else. So when you do that, then naturally you're going to start seeing, well, what do businesses have to do? They have to show year after year of profits and increase in revenue and X and Y and Z. So, you know, I mean, if you just date back for-profit education into the late 90s, you know, as they start, you know, becoming public companies, as they start being traded on the stock exchange, well, then naturally you're going to start seeing an inflation in costs way more than they may necessarily have to be to stay, you know, to keep their shareholders and investors happy. So like, I think you're, I think you're comparing two different things while the public education system never necessarily had a profit motive. And it's one of those interesting things because if you are looking and, you know, this is an aspect of for-profit education that's interesting to me. And I find it fascinating that not many people talk about it is that it is not, you know, when you get educated, you know, when we go through school and we've gone through it, well, then, you know, we have an X amount of money we have to pay for that. Well, I mean, what's the recourse if I don't like it? What's the recourse if it doesn't work? And what's, Mm -hmm. what's the lender's recourse if I stop paying? Like, there's nothing to take. There's no physical asset. So, you know, when you really get into financing this type of stuff, then there's a lot of questions that don't really have a direct answer when it comes to education. It's not like we just bought a car and then, oh, I can't pay my bill anymore, so take the car. And at least, you know, there's value in that asset. So it's just, it's one of those things that we have to be very cognizant of how we're handling it because I don't think education is something that can be just treated like a product, which it has been. I mean, when you think about it, these days, when you think of education, people look at it as a service or a product. And, you know, my, you know, my argument would be that, well, if we're, talking about education as a product or service, then what's the return policy? You know, that, wow, that's, wow. I really love your points on this one. And I like how you said profit is neither good nor evil. It is what it is. And then there is no profit motive on the public side of it. And what happens if things don't go right? But where you started off with what I thought was really important is why are the costs so high and why is it not effective? And I believe the way you broke that down most everyone can get behind that and saying, I want reasonable costs of education. Right. I believe you do too. And so does most everyone else. How we do that is where we disagree. We want the education to be the most effective it possibly can be. And I also agree with you that our system may be outdated to what we need to actually be as competitive as we can be. So that's one of the things that how you can break it down as a logicrat. That's a really interesting take on that. Um, one of the reasons why I, I brought you on is because I respect your business mind as well um, in real estate and investments and all those other things. And I wanted to see how a logicrat may take off on maybe a business issue or something. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about what you do as a professional and how you maybe use logicrats as a, a tool to help you make better decisions. Sure. So, um, you know, the the first thing that you kind of understand as you, you know, if you read the book and you kind of go through it is that, like I said before, everything affects everything, even if it's to a minimal degree. So for us to understand, like to be a logicrat is to understand things in a more of a holistic way and to understand what affects what. And I think that's a very interesting perspective to take, especially in business. So, you know, my background through school is supply chain management or logistic 
you know, so that, that kind of mindset already kind of puts you in that type of perspective. You already have to start looking at from beginning to end and everything in between that, that affects a process. So in my businesses, you know, I'm a real estate broker here in Arizona. Um, it's very relevant. It's, you know, usually, and you know, it's not like I'm saying other realtors aren't, you know, are not great. It's just, it, but what I'm saying is real estate in itself, first and foremost, I think the industry is about to be turned on its head. And I feel like real estate agents are going to have to be much more than just agents in terms of I can really talk you into buying and I can really talk you into selling because there's way more to it than just buying or selling a property. And having that investment management background, um, it's very apparent when I talk to clients or potential clients that there are so many questions I ask them that they've never even, they've never been asked through their real estate purchasing and selling careers, you know. And it's just shocking to me because there's much more that goes into it. It's not just buying or selling a house like, you know, Brandon, you're in this type of, you know, kind of field. Like, why are you buying where you're buying? Uh, what, what's your time frame? What's your horizon? You know, like, how long are you going to hold the property? How are you going to finance it? What kind of financial vehicle are you going to use? You know, what's the cost? You know, what's the interest rate going to be on that? Do you have you know, external risks that you have to take into account, you know, is it going to be a 30 year fixed? How much are you putting down? Why are you putting down that much? All these different things. So you got to know financing, you got to know lending, you got to know, you know, if you're doing your job right, you got to know all these different things, how they're going to change over the next five to 10 years, and how that might change your client's goals. So I think it's very applicable. And if more people took these principles into their businesses, they would be able to what I like to say is the more risk I can remove from my process, the hap- the more money I'll make. I don't really focus on the top end in terms of I need to make more money, I need more revenue, I need more profit. I just think, here's my, here's my business. How do I mitigate more risk? And the more risk I eliminate from the system, the more money I'll make in the long run. Very, very interesting. I love what you're saying. So as a logocrat, it's, it's seeming to me it's not a, an ideal, but it's how you think and how you approach things. So if you could give a tip to our listeners today to say one thing they can do to start asking better questions or better ways to um, actually uh, peel back the onion or attack the problem, what would you recommend for people? You know, first and foremost, I think it starts with the individual. Um, you know. I think people get caught up in, you know, camps when it comes to ideas. So the first thing I would say to people, first and foremost, before they even think about anything or talk about anything, is the one core thing I try to attack, and you probably see this online too and everywhere else, Brandon, that is we are not our ideas. And I don't think people don't live that way because people actually, I mean, when you look at it, People treat ideas like literally an extension of themselves. So like imagine like an idea that I hold is my arm. So if anyone says anything that could contradict my idea, I take it as a literal attack on myself. And that idea, that paradigm needs to shift. People have to understand that ideas are literally just tools to understand things and they have nothing to do with you. So if you hold an idea and someone comes up with a better idea, you don't have to be offended or attacked. You just you just learned a, new, a better idea. That's all it is. So first and foremost, I'd say 
don't don't think like you own an idea you don't like it's just something you're using to understand things and if we do that i think we're going to come to the table a little more tolerant a little more deep, you know civilized when we're talking about things that are important to all of us you know so i think disassociating yourself from your ideas as two different things i think that'll go a long way for people to be able to start managing what they're thinking how they're thinking and how to move forward I really love what you said there. Um, a quote I'd like to think about is the only constant in life is change. But I notice a lot of people tend to hold on to the same opinions despite new evidence. And that's one of the things that I like to challenge myself on is to grow. It's okay to be able to change my opinion. It's an opinion. It's not fact. So right. until it's fact, that's where I continue to want to learn and grow. And if something comes new to me, I have the opportunity to change my opinion. If that information is great. So I, I really love what you're saying. Now, if anybody wants to get involved, uh, talk a little bit more about Logicrats or anything, how would they contact you? Tell us a little bit more about where would they reach you? Sure. And, you know, just to back up a little, Brandon, you know, like how you just said, um, you know, when you're talking about um, decoupling yourself with your ideas and having the right to change your mind. I mean, literally, I mean, you know this, like think of think of that in our politics and it makes absolutely no sense right now right like it, mm -hmm. it just doesn't like if someone changes their mind on tv they're considered like flip-flopper yeah a flip-flopper <laughs> this or that or and i'm thinking i'm like man if i'm looking for a leader i want a leader to be able to change his mind if he comes across better information mm -hmm. on the go like i don't want someone who says well no matter what anyone says this is what i'm gonna do it's like well I mean, you're not, you know, like that's not helpful as a leader. A leader has to be able to recognize and adapt on the go. And I don't think people value that. And because of that, I don't know. I mean, I think that's why you kind of see the mess you see right now. That, wow, that could open up a whole nother podcast for us. But I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. That is, that's a really great point. And I, I like to see that as well as, you know, a leader is going to adapt because the only constant life has changed. So something new is going to happen. So what is true today may not necessarily be true tomorrow. Right. I mean, typewriter was the best way to go about writing stuff up. We don't write anything on typewriters anymore. We don't even use computers sometimes. We mostly voice text things. And there's a lot of algorithms now that can just do transcriptions from videos. So there's right. many ways to get written word now that are much more efficient than a typewriter. Right. Definitely. So, yeah. Okay, so the question is, is uh, if someone is very interested in what we're talking about and love uh, the idea of Logicrats, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, well, you know, it is the age of social media. So I am on social media. I have a website, Logicrat.com. That's where I write my blogs. Um, most of my activity and all of that you'll find on my Facebook page for Logicrats. Um, that's where I kind of you know, we have a Facebook page and then a corresponding Facebook group called Logicrat Society. And these are the two places where most of the conversation discussions and whatnot happen, continue the conversation. Because again, this book is just a platform. It's a baseline and it's a general blueprint to continue, right? So what I'm trying to do now and what we're, what we're trying to do in terms of the Logicrat's brand is you have the Facebook page that I kind of and my team start sharing things to get you thinking about stuff. And then in Logicrat Society, which is a group you can find on Facebook as well, that's where people can really engage and interact with each other. 
throw their own ideas out there, share their perspective, and get really good um, quality engagement. Because you know the underlying theme is we're all here to be logocrats. So let's talk through things. Let's get to a better place. Let's try to figure out how to solve these problems without the the rhetoric that we see and the noise that we hear about on social media elsewhere and on TV and whatnot. You know, I love it, and I I do see a lot of those posts in those groups. So that's something that's pretty awesome right there, guys. This is Ramnik Mather, R A M N E E K Mather, M A T H U R. Logicrats, L-O-G-I-C-R-A-T-S. Find them on social media. Definitely connect with them. Romnik, is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners? Well, you know, thanks for having me, Brandon. This was really awesome. You know, um, definitely I, I look forward to engaging with you and others on your podcast. I'm really excited about your platform and your concept because I think this is exactly the type of things we need to do. We need to discuss ideas. We just need to sit there and discuss. You know, and we have to just discuss in a civilized, decent way. And I think we're going to make um, huge strides towards progress. And I, I really appreciate, you know, your time and having me on here. Thank you for being on here. I was told you got two ears and one mouth. So you listen twice as much as you talk. So <laughs> to what you have to say. And it was great content. So I'm looking forward to being able to have many more conversations with you. Thank you again and have a great day. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs>